And I'm Chelsea Fairless. And I guess today we're talking about Ring-A-Ding-Ding. The time has finally come. We have gotten so many requests for this episode. Really? Yeah. Oh, because of what happens at the end of this episode. Sorry, I, I will correct myself. I understand why this episode is so requested. This is an iconic episode. Also, I think tax season is the perfect time to discuss this episode because it is a time of deep anxiety for so many and you do get confronted with your financial reality in the same way that Carrie is in this episode. Yeah, I'm realizing, uh, you know, in a few short weeks, I will be Carrie's age in this episode. Mazel. Is it mazel? 35 is a great age. And and just like that set the bar for being bummed out with these characters. But in the world of Sex and the City, I think Ring-A-Ding-Ding is the saddest we've been with Carrie thus far in the series. I think the saddest time is the first big affair for Carrie. I mean, she only had the one affair with him. Okay, but you know what I mean. Yeah. The first go around with Aiden and John James Preston. Oh, using his full ass name. We'll get to him in a second. So this episode starts with a Wizard of Oz reference. Carrie says in voiceover, a girl in pigtails once said, there's no place like home. I mean, weren't those braids? Well, she has pigtails, but yes, Judy Garland has braids. Right. And a gay man wrote this episode? Actually, no, Daddy MPK did not write this episode. Who wrote it? This was written by Amy B. Harris. Oh shit, she was a producer on The Carrie Diaries and she wrote the film Just My Luck with Lindsay Lohan and a young Chris Pine. Don't remember that movie, but love this episode. So good for her. So Aiden is moving out because Carrie doesn't want to marry him. Tensions are high, but before he leaves, he takes pity on her and helps her with her toilet that is flushing for no reason. You mean helps her with the ball cock? Yes, there's a ball cock joke. I always forget that that's what it's called. Like the weird balloon inside toilets. As Carrie rightly notes, the phrase ball cock cannot be the last words you say to me. I would argue that ball cock is better than the conversation that they're about to have, which is about the engagement ring. He thinks that she should keep it. She wants to give it back. You couldn't keep that. Talk about something not sparking joy. Don't ask that question to Charlotte York, as we learn later in this episode. But yeah, it is the right thing to do to give the ring back. The one that she bullied through her friends for him to get her because she didn't like the first ring. Yeah. I guess when I first watched the show, I never admired Carrie's point of view. Yes, Carrie doesn't want to get married, therefore Aiden can't be with her. But like, why does Aiden need to get married if he wants to be with this person? Obviously, they have we can tell because we do not like Aiden, that they have fundamentally different perspectives on life and how they see their life going. He wants a wife that he can settle down with so she can pop out a bunch of kids that can have the name of a country band or whatever their names are. Tate, who, who the fuck else? Who are his kids? We only remember Tater Tot. Yeah. 
A Wyatt? There's a Wyatt in there, I know, for sure. <laughs> God, is Aiden a men's right activist? Like, would he have a thriving TikTok talking about traditional values and wanting a trad wife? Look, it's normal to want that. It's just not what Carrie wants. And they are fundamentally different in that way. And to be fair, he should have seen that coming. Yeah. Anyway, he leaves her with a letter, which is lovely of him. And Carrie grabs a box of tissues, sits in her Aiden chair to read his last words to her. But unfortunately, they are not from him, but rather from the law firm Vogel. Vogel and something. He's basically going to be evicting her in 30 days, which is rude. At least give the bitch 90 days. I was going to say 60, but yeah, it does make a lot of sense. He did buy her apartment. Why should he hold on to this apartment of hers and continue to presumably pay the mortgage? She can pay the mortgage, though. I'm just saying 30 days is a cruel and unusual amount of time to make someone come up with $30,000. Well, also, what I've never understood about the the going co-op of it all, even when this began a few episodes before, she can buy into her rent-controlled apartment for 30K? See, this is why Sex in the City perpetuated so many unrealistic things about New York. Like, this is not the reality. You can't buy a one bedroom on the Upper East Side with a 30K down payment. Carrie is understandably confused. We go to the brunch. What I love about this is... We get several group scenes, one brunch and then one in a Chinese restaurant, which I enjoyed. Felt very season one of the show. Yeah, totally. A lot of memorable dialogue, right? I'll be a bag lady, a Fendi bag lady, but I'll be a bag lady. Yeah, that is a very comedic way to ponder one's own inevitable homelessness. This is also when it's revealed that everyone in the clique owns their own apartment, except for Carrie. She's an outlier in that way. Yeah, they do slip in that Samantha did buy her place in Meatpacking in season three. It's a bigger plot point that Miranda bought her place. And as Carrie tries to point out, well, Charlotte, you didn't buy your place. And she goes, oh, I I paid. I'm sorry, but I have to take Bunny McDougal's side on this one. You married someone without sleeping with them first, And then you found out that you have terrible sexual chemistry. Like, that's on you, bitch. That doesn't make you entitled to a classic six on the Upper East Side that's been in this man's family for decades. Like, Charlotte is a literal con artist. (laughs) What a wonderful read. A different read on Charlotte. I agree with you. Also, they keep referencing in this episode how Charlotte doesn't need to work. Everything's fine. Charlotte got the apartment, but... They were married for, what, 18 months at the most? Trey's not paying her alimony. Wasn't she worth a million? Didn't they negotiate that? Yeah, but that's over five years. Okay, so maybe she got, like, what, 250K? That's not going to keep Charlotte afloat for long in Manhattan. No, Charlotte very much needs to work. (laughs) Between the not having to pay rent and whatever settlement she got from Trey, which we don't really understand, whatever generous settlement, she doesn't have to work. So she is now in a very different situation than the rest of her friends. It was a miracle that I could remember anything from that scene because I was just concentrating on Samantha's giant white trash charms necklace that she was wearing. I know, the giant mud flap girl. What a time. And as we learned a few years ago, that company still exists. Yeah. Good for them. So Miranda farts. That's really Miranda's (laughs) storyline for this episode is she farts and she's horny. Samantha has a new Chanel wallet from Richard, but she's not entirely thrilled because the card says, style for style, best Richard. 
And as Samantha says, best is like signing, not love, which is true. Best is kind of the most passive aggressive of the email sign offs. I don't know if it's passive aggressive. It's neutral, but it's definitely not giving affection. Absolutely not. I forgot that Richard is still in this season. Always love James Remar. So then there's a back and forth between Carrie and Charlotte about giving the ring back. Charlotte could never. And then we cut to Charlotte at a jeweler. Somewhere in the Diamond District, presumably. Somewhere a block over Adam Sandler is (laughs) in his own shop selling a bejeweled Furby. (laughs) And then this week at our second usage of the F word slur in this series. Yes, the uh, very funny and charismatic sales associate says, these were my baguettes, but because it turns out my husband was a faggot now they're earrings i'm sorry it's a funny line it's genius this also because i watched this when i was a teenager made me think that so many divorcees are just turning their engagement rings into floating necklaces is that a thing was that a thing does it continue to be a thing when faced with this situation myself i just gave the ring back Well, when I worked for still unnamed eccentric actress, she was engaged to a Hollywood director. And I learned that she was trying to sell the ring back privately to the jeweler who had uh, fashioned the ring. Where's the ring place that all the celebs get them from? Do you mean Neil Lane? No, it's not that. It's like someone else. Harry Winston? Steven Webster. That's who did the Megan Fox Machine Gun Kelly ring, I believe. The thorn engagement ring that she can't take off. I bet Aiden loves that idea. If Aiden and Carrie get engaged again, he's like, (laughs) guess what? It's going to hurt if you take this bitch off. Think about that before you put it on a necklace chain. So when faced with the prospect of melting down her beautiful diamond, she freaks out and leaves. And the saleswoman's like, look, that's fine. I've seen it before. Just don't go back to the people. Oh, she uses an- <laughs> another slur yeah. that we shouldn't say on the podcast. Yeah. yeah. How times have changed. So now we have Carrie at the bank trying to get a loan. She doesn't have any assets to her name, but Chell, she was New York Magazine's best pick for city columnist. <laughs> doesn't that count for something? I feel so bad for Carrie in this scene. It's revealed that she has $700 in her checking account. Hey, hey, she just paid her credit card bill. And shouldn't we know that, like, that's pretty impressive. Also, Carrie's not in credit card debt? Question mark, question mark. She would be in reality. Yeah. So obviously she's an undesirable candidate for a loan as she has no money and no assets to speak of. No stocks, no house in Suffern that she can leverage. Because of this like rude rejection, she's then like realizing she has to make some lifestyle changes, including not taking so many cabs. Okay, well, this is the craziest thing. And again, we're talking about 2000, 2001, New York, but she claims that for three more bucks, you could take a cab, which either means she's so close, but because she exclusively <laughs> wears Manolo Blahnik, she can't walk a few blocks home, or she has no idea how much cabs cost. Yeah, and she has the most tone-deaf conversation with a woman who's also waiting for the bus, who clearly rides the bus regularly, who then asks her, why do you have to take the bus when you're on the bus? A lovely callback. Yeah. It's lovely that four seasons in, they've remembered that in the pilot episode, Carrie's bus billboard debuted, which has not been referenced since that point and wouldn't you know it the bus that comes to pick her up is the four-year-old bus billboard was there no movie that could have bought this out look the new york star is clearly investing in its star columnist or i always remember that 
Tommy Wiseau's The Room, he bought a billboard on Crescent Heights when I was a teenager that someone just never bought again for years. I don't think he was continuously paying for it. I think no one just paid to have a new billboard put. And so for years, The Room movie before it became a cult classic was advertised. That's cool. So it's kind of like the Tower Records before it became a Supreme store. Yes. So now we get the I couldn't help but wonder of the episode. Which is not really an I couldn't help but wonder. It's just a question. Uh, Shall I read it? Yeah, but I just want to know, did you hand transcribe this or did you learn from me and go to satctranscripts.com? No, no, no. I mean, I don't know if I went to SATC transcripts, but I just typed in ring-a-ding-ding sex in the city transcript and control f to find this. <laughs> so here I was, a 35-year-old single woman with no financial security, but many life experiences behind me. Did that mean nothing? After all, heartbreak and breakups are the hardest kind of work. So shouldn't there be some sort of credit for enduring them? And if not, how do you retain a sense of value when you have nothing concrete to show for it? Because at the end of yet another failed relationship, when all you have are war wounds and self-doubt, you have to wonder, what's it all worth? So the question here is really, how do you retain a sense of value when you have nothing concrete to show for it? Which I think is an important question. Well, I think the underlying point is that Carrie is a secret uh, socialist. I think she'd be very much down for UBI. (laughs) And by UBI, I mean universal breakup income. It's hard to retain a sense of value in a culture where money and assets are still seen as the ultimate validation for whatever life path you've chosen. Also, we grow up with the idea that by the time you're middle-aged, you have those sort of benchmarks. You own the house, you're married, you have the kids, you have a retirement account, whatever. Are we defining 35 as middle-aged? Yeah. I don't think so. I think 40s is middle-aged. Okay, if at 35, you don't have any of these things, like 40 is looking scary to you. But also, this is such a Gen X fear, which as millennials that we're now on our, what, third financial crisis. It's like, whatever, man. Also, did you read that? There is a New York Times opinion piece that came out last week about the fact that millennials don't have midlife crises because no one has this sort of security that's required to rebel and have a midlife crisis. Like, you can't really do that unless you have the suburban house and the minivan and all of that shit. Like, no one from our generation is walking around like Kevin Spacey in American Beauty or something. For multiple reasons. But yeah, um, yeah, we've just been living with sustained, like, low-grade to high-grade anxiety since 2008. But to answer Carrie's question, I think you can retain a sense of value that when you realize that the most important things in life don't really have to do with money anyway. Like, I read something once that was like, once your basic needs are met food shelter health care that money actually doesn't really make that much of a difference when it comes to happiness it's about your relationships with people and like experiences that like enrich your life in that way well I think the bigger point of this episode watching it again which is not the main point of this episode but I think it's Carrie realizing that her other friends are further along than she is. Oh, yeah. And that's such a thing. That can break up friendships and does. And that's why we're no longer friends. (laughs) (laughs) It's an interesting juxtaposition because 
right? We're watching the show, we're seeing all of the characters' lives as the audience, but Carrie is really only cluing into her friends' lives, really, I mean, when she sees them socially, but at brunch. And this is such a juxtaposition of like, oh wait, you all own, and oh, you all have savings. Charlotte's a very different case, for sure. But yeah, Carrie doesn't have shelter. Food for her less important, she'll just buy Vogue for dinner, but <laughs> this apartment is everything. Totally. Well, Carrie is also the freelancer of the bunch. That's already putting her in a more precarious category, although for a freelancer, having a column is about the most stable form of work that you can have. And a little confounding that up until this point, she's seemingly done no other freelance work. Yeah, true. Speaking of precarious work situations, we see Charlotte calling galleries. I've already made the point of like, doesn't Charlotte kind of need to work? Right. One of the longest lasting truisms if you are a working woman, is Samantha's thing when Charlotte earlier in the season wants to quit, which is like, you better be sure because when you get off that carousel, you cannot get back on. When you get off the workhorse. <laughs> and, and Daddy <laughs> MPK took that to heart because he's like, Charlotte will never work again. <laughs> and she doesn't. <laughs> Unless we get something in season two of In just like that, no. No, she hasn't. Wow. So now we have a quick scene of Samantha at Richard's loft he gives her some lingerie and the card says sexy for sexy best Richard and it's a pretty boring scene but what I want to discuss with you is can we talk about Richard's apartment because it looks like he has two separate staircases that converge right behind his headboard and I'm curious like have we ever seen someone walk down them is this purely decorative it's an apartment that doesn't exist, I assume. I mean, obviously, it's built on a soundstage, but it does beg the question, did one of the writers or the production designer ever see an apartment like this? Yeah, it's kind of like one part 90s bachelor pad and one part like German expressionist film set. Obviously, the Richard Wright character is based on Ian Schrager, so it does feel like a very Schragery apartment. Meanwhile, Carrie and Miranda are shoe shopping. Miranda out of necessity because her feet have also gotten fat. This is probably the most famous scene from this episode. Maybe this entire season, we use the quote from this scene in our own theme song. Carrie is contemplating where all of her money went. Miranda says at 400 bucks a pop, how many of these do you have? 50? And she's like, come on, 100? And that's where we get, I've spent $40,000 on shoes and I have no place to live. We learned several things in this episode. One, Carrie's a 37 and a half. Two, Manolo Blahniks cost $400. Wait, she's a 37 and a half? So yeah. am I. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I can do a 37, yeah. but if given the half size option, I will always take it. Same. But... That doesn't even feel right in 2001 that Manolo Blahniks were $400. Yeah, they were. Yeah, they All were. Right. That's the difference between then and now. Maybe $500, but certainly not $800, $1,200 like they are now. But we know from that episode where Pete chews up Carrie's beloved turquoise Manolo Blahnik, she's getting some of these at sample sales. Yeah, you're right. So maybe she's paid like 180 for some of them. Yeah, yeah, she spent like $37,000 <laughs> on shoes. Yeah, she doesn't have to feel bad about that. And then I think these are the moments that made Sex in the City Sex in the City, which is that the end of this episode is that Miranda pulls her own finger. 
Because this bitch can't stop farting. She can't stop farting, and she's also never been hornier. I got nothing to add to that. (laughs) You're like, same. (laughs) Same bitch. (sighs) But I love how she relates that this is why people are married when they get pregnant, or supposed to be. So I I love this take on traditional values. (laughs) When you're swollen and a different weight than you normally are, someone is obligated to fuck you. Meanwhile, Carrie is looking for apartments, which is the most harrowing thing that anyone could possibly do in New York. Especially when... You're facing an eviction, a breakup. There's an imminent timeline coming. Yeah, it's like having a gun to your head. And then having to have a tour of like the most disgusting little rat's nests that the city has to offer. I couldn't believe that this apartment was $2,800. I could. Where are Carrie's shoes supposed to go? Although I hear that the Upper East Side is actually kind of cheaper now. Like it's cheaper to live in like a one bedroom in the Upper East Side Depending on the building, obviously, not like a doorman building, but then it is to live in like Williamsburg or something. Like I actually know a couple people that now live on the Upper East Side that lived in Brooklyn previously. Oh, for sure. Anyone who's lived in New York, anyone that's lived in a metropolitan city has been this willfully shitty while t- touring an apartment. <laughs> poor, poor... Uh, Realtors. I know it's yeah. not their fault that this is the reality of the market, but it's crazy the things that you like mentally justify when you find an apartment that you actually like. You're like, you know what? So what if it smells like curry all the time? Like, it's a block away from the R train. Like, surely I can hang with that. Did you clock the line that when Carrie goes, where do my shoes go? And the realtor's like, you get one of those shoe racks. She's like, I will hang myself by one of those racks. Yeah, you don't really get suicide jokes anymore on television shows. Or even by Carrie, who's was giving a, what's the line from Sex and City 1? Unintended Sylvia Plath. Uh, or no, it was Diane Arbus. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think we ever got a Sylvia Plath joke. This is the closest we get. This is where we learn what Carrie pays for her rent-controlled apartment, which is $750 a month. What a dream. I'm going to sound like a real L.A. yokel, I guess. But if your building goes co-op and you pay into it, are you still paying your rent control? Or does that $750 become like an HOA? I have no idea. You are asking the wrong person. It seems like even in 2001, Carrie's only option at her price range is to go to Weehawken. That was a serve on behalf of the (laughs) real estate agent. Could you imagine if the pivot of season five is Carrie has moved to Hoboken? (laughs) So faced with the prospect of moving to one of these terrible apartments, she decides to go to Mr. Big and beg for money. Another thing we learned from this episode is that Carrie has never visited Big at work. (laughs) Oh, right. Yeah. I was going to say that this is the introduction of Big as a vague finance bro, but the line that Carrie says to him, which is, I once read you leverage $3 million to build a $100 million building, does still have a foot in he is a young Donald Trump. But also, Carrie, it's like, the building's worth $100 million. Like, did he sell it for $100 million? Is it a commercial build? These are the thoughts I have, (laughs) like the 18th rewatch. I remember hearing that this scene was inspired by Gone with the Wind, but it's been so many years since I've seen Gone with the Wind that I had no recollection. So I scrubbed through it on HBO Max. And this is based on a scene where Scarlett O'Hara puts on the curtain dress and goes to Rhett and asks him for $300 so she can buy her fucking plantation, literal slave plantation. 
And then he's like, what collateral can you offer? And she's like, oh, you know, the cotton from next year. But unlike Mr. Big, he's basically just like, you're not worth $300, bitch. Like, get out of here. Very dark. But apparently that was the uh, the reference point for the Carrie Big scene. Carrie doesn't need to know how he leveraged $3 million to build a $100 million building. She needs to know his insider trading stock tips. That's how Mr. Big made his fortune, let's be honest. Also, I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention the costuming of Carrie in this scene. For one thing, she's wearing head-to-toe Chanel, which is hilarious. It's an all-white outfit, which we rarely get from Carrie. She's even wearing little white gloves, which I think is supposed to convey, like Scarlett O'Hara, like, oh, this bitch actually like cannot survive in the real world. You know what I mean? Like she's yeah. even wearing an outfit that you couldn't wear on the streets of New York without taking a cab. Like she cannot survive these sort of catastrophic financial circumstances without a man. Seems like she should have married Aiden then. Yeah. She says, she admits to Big, you were right, I'm not the marrying kind. And then Big quickly says, or the timing wasn't right. Was this foreshadowing that, uh, is Daddy MPK working on levels we can't understand? Was this perhaps foreshadowing that Carrie and Aiden would get back together in season two of In Just Like That? Have we been wrong about Daddy MPK? Is he working on levels we just can't even understand? Only time will tell. So Big does give her the money. Yeah, so I have a, a big pun intended question about this. Does this make me a terrible person? I think for the emotional trauma he's put her through, she should cash that check. Yeah, I absolutely think she should have taken the money from Big. I understand to Miranda's point in the following scene that once a man gives you money, you give him control. But also Big is not the kind of person that would use money to control and abuse Carrie. He's so emotionally unavailable. It's not like what he wants in return is a relationship. If anything, it's sex, which I think Carrie would be down with. Yeah, but he's not even like giving those vibes. Well, Samantha's point is, which I guess we align with, is it's just money. Man, woman, who cares? It's fluid. Someone needs it, you give it. You need it, you take it. I love Samantha's financial philosophy, personally. Well, you would think that Miranda would be into, since she fucking hates Big and everything he's put Carrie through, would be like, yeah, take the money, I'll write an agreement. Well, first of all, Carrie's like, it's a loan, I'll pay him back. It's like, bitch, at what interest rate? Like, no, you're not gonna pay him back. No, I think she would pay him back. I don't think he would require an interest rate. I think that's the advantage of borrowing money from your ex or your friends versus a bank. My other question is, do you think Big ever noticed that 30K was still in his account? No. Yeah, I think his bank account is so large that he yeah. would never notice. Pocket change. I also love in this scene when Carrie is at her lowest financially, she's wearing a Van Cleef and Arpel ring <laughs> and a Chanel blouse. I know. It's like, bitch, go to Ina and hawk that shit. What are you doing? Because uh -huh. that Chanel blouse would have been $2,000 even then. Yeah, 1800 something like that. This is where the costuming of Sex in the City actually does contradict the plot. You know that there was a fight between Michael Patrick King and Patricia Field about this because that was always Patricia Field's point as she was coming up against Michael Patrick King because he would want the costumes to be incredibly realistic. But I suppose her pitch must have been like, She's got no money. She's wearing her money how she has it. That's my Patricia Field impression. <laughs>
it doesn't bother me. I like that she's wearing her frivolous clothes, but we need to bump up the sum of money that she needs to get her hands on if these women are going to wear these clothes. Like it needs to be like, I need $100,000 or something. Right. Because $30,000, and this is what I don't understand, because... Miranda offers to give her the money. Samantha offers to give her the money. They're like, oh, we'll split it. Charlotte doesn't say anything, which is equally rude to Miranda and Samantha. It's like, all of you should just give her $10,000. Yeah. The reveal that Miranda only has $15,000 in her savings account, despite this crazy fucking wardrobe that she has, does not make sense. All the savings went to paying off her credit card bills. <laughs> I assume with someone like Miranda, she's like fully maxed out her 401ks and has various retirement accounts. So I would assume that's where her money is. Yeah, true. Basically, it just needed to be a higher figure. Buying into the building is just, has never it's already unrealistic. Yeah. Yeah. Then Carrie's like, no worries, guys. I don't need your money. I'll figure this out on my own. She rips up the check from Big. It's like, how are you planning on getting this money in 30 days? This is not a time to look like the bigger person. Just take Big's money. So you're not putting out your friends who would help you because they love you, but. Just get it from your ex-boyfriend who's like super fucking loaded, does not need it back, will not even think about it. Will not even know it's gone from his account and put you through a lot of bullshit. I'm not trying to put a dollar figure on what Big put her through. $30,000 feels like the right amount. <laughs> Many of these scenes have great comedic buttons to them with physical comedy, uh, Miranda pulling her finger, and then at the end of this one, Carrie having no fortune. In the fortune cookie. Right. That was a good beat. That happened to me recently. Oh, really? Yeah. We're <laughs> I was with my producer of the of the film I'm gonna direct, and we were at Chin Chin on Sunset Plaza. And I went to go, we thought it would be like, okay, what is it gonna say? What does this mean for the movie? And I cracked my fortune cookie and there was nothing in it. That's so fucked up. Also, we forgot to talk about that at the top of the show. Let's get into it. I'm directing a movie, guys. Tell us more. I obviously know, <laughs> but our listeners do not. And this is very exciting. As, as people commented on my post, I'm a true Nepo baby. My dad produced erotic thrillers, and now I'm going to make an erotic thriller. Well, I think if your parent has any job, you're more likely to then do that job. Like my friend India's mom is a dentist, and now she's a dentist. I guess that's true. Um, yeah, it's about a sugar baby that moves in with her sugar daddy and uh, there are dark things that go on in the house. I don't want to say too much. There's fun reveals. What's the deal? Like, when is this actually being shot? Do we know when it's coming out? Like, what are the time frames? Yeah, it'll be out probably sometime next year. I will be gone from April 19th to May 12th, but we are figuring out a content schedule that makes sense so that you, the listener, will not be interrupted while I am off filming this movie. Well, you won't actually be gone because we are going to pre-record some stuff, but there might be one episode where I might have to find a, a Lauren replacement. And then I'm never back on the pod ever <laughs> again. You're like, hey, this person's actually pretty great. That is the fear with going off is that you might find someone else and you're like, you know what? We have great chemistry. Me and Evan Ross Katz have got the best <laughs> I think we're done, Laura. <laughs> That's so exciting. Thank you. I'm very excited. If I don't sound excited, it's because of the fact of like, oh, now I actually have to like 
pull it off and do it. <laughs> I don't know how much excitement your voice can naturally convey anyway. Yeah, due to the monotone nature of my vocal fry, San Fernando Valley-born voice. Yeah. So Carrie's walking around her apartment, and suddenly she's irrationally angry, and she knows exactly who to direct that towards, and that would be Charlotte, which I wouldn't say that she's irrationally angry. That is... A very understandable thing to be annoyed about. I think from Carrie's perspective, if Charlotte was in the position that she was in, she would have offered Charlotte the money. Yes, she says that in in this scene. And she's like, I get it. I know I don't have the money, but I would do it. it this is one of the more, I would say, realistic, on the pettier side, but realistic fights between friends. Because Carrie does throw in Charlotte's face like, oh, you made terrible decisions in the past year, but I didn't say anything to you. Yeah. And that is fair. I mean, again, we have said Carrie's best sex advice was when she told Charlotte as she was walking down the aisle, maybe Trey jerked off before and that's why his dick didn't work. That wasn't sex advice. That was a skillfully crafted lie that she thought up in the moment yeah. under like the most intense pressure. Yeah. That was just her being like a very good friend in that moment. But also, what we failed to mention about the last dinner scene was that Charlotte revealed that she is going to be a docent at the Museum of Modern Art. At right? MoMA, yeah. And Carrie was like, oh, how much does that pay? And she was like, nothing actually. Like, it's a volunteer job. Basically, like, I don't have to work. I am so well off that I don't have to have a job like the rest of you. I mean, I took that more to mean that she can't get hired by other galleries. And this is the one gig that she can get. But yes. Well, yeah, that's what she reveals in this scene. Why doesn't Charlotte have to work? She's not getting alimony. They didn't have children. There's no child support. She got a lump sum that is apparently so big that it's just not at the forefront of her mind. She hasn't even officially gotten divorced yet. They're just separated because it's not till season five that she gets a divorce and we're introduced to Harry. Oh, so she hasn't even gotten the settlement yet. No. Okay, so maybe she just had like money kicking around in her checking account or something. And maybe she just assumes like, I'm literally not going to go back to work. I'm just going to find another husband, which is what she does. Yeah. That was obviously her plan. You know what? We've completely misunderstood this episode, Chelsea. We've been very mean to Charlotte. She can't give Carrie any of her savings because she's just living on her savings to keep buying these Prada dresses. <laughs> the most maddening part of this scene is is when Charlotte says, you're a 35-year-old woman, which is, again, like, you know, triggering for a lot of people to be reminded of their age, for one thing. And then she says, you need to learn to stand on your own. As she's standing within her inherited apartment that she conned her ex's parents into giving her. The beat of this scene, which I don't think is equal, because Charlotte's like, it's not my job to fix your financial problems, which is true yeah but carrie gets one on charlotte by being like are you still wearing your engagement ring which is like well those are not the same things her standing in the, <laughs> her standing in the, sorry guys there's a bulldog on my lap her standing in the apartment that yes she conned her ex into is a bigger point that carrie does not make but I mean, you know, if Charlotte wants to wear her engagement ring around the confines of her apartment, I think that's fine. 
it's dark and sad and seems like something out of a Douglas Sirk film, but yeah. she can do it. On the scale of sad things to do alone, I think we've put doing cocaine by yourself as like number one. As we learned from... Um, watching Magnolia. Speaking of which, I feel like I'm living in Magnolia because of the weather. I hate when it rains when it's sunny out. It's like, pick a lane. <laughs> be sunny and dry or be gray and wet. Oh, see, I kind of like a sun shower. At least that switches it up. Back to this fight. <laughs> yeah, there's no resolution, right? Because we don't know that Charlotte's going to give the ring to Carrie just yet. So the fight just sort of ends. I don't know. I'm team no one with this fight. I'm team Carrie, although ambushing her like this was a little extreme. She should have reeled that in a bit. But I ultimately think that she was in the right. Because Charlotte likens this situation to a falling out between her father and his friend Paul. But like, as she said, Carrie's literally her soulmate. So it's kind of different than an average friend. And also it's $10,000. Well, you're, you're assuming they're going to split it three ways between friends, which, yeah, they, they should. I would for you. I would for you too. If your relationship fell apart and then you were going to lose your house, like that would just be rude not to give someone $10,000 if you had it. Not if you, you obviously don't give anyone that kind of money if like you're going to be put out or you're going to have no savings or whatever. I'm actually realizing what the more logical solution for this is that Carrie should have just moved in with Charlotte. Oh, yeah. Give us that season five. <laughs> and then it's like revealed that like Aiden's having trouble selling it and she's actually finally come up with the money or something. It's very clear that they just made up that there is apartment behind Carrie's apartment, which does not make any sense with the way that the brownstone is constructed, but fine. <laughs> but what, Aiden sold the apartment behind Carrie as well? Yeah, I guess. Who's that tenant? Carrie never talks about him or them. So back at Richard Wright's loft. Richard Wright's impossible loft. Yeah. yeah. Samantha encounters a strange man, Richard's personal shopper. She comes to find out. Richard's third assistant who then admits that his job is his personal shopper, which I have heard about very powerful people having multiple assistants. Well, that makes sense because it's like you would need a business assistant. Sure. Someone that you could actually bring into meetings and stuff. And then you need the person to pick up your dry cleaning and shit. Right, but I've even heard, I remember some article from years ago was talking about Scott Rudin having five assistants and one was just for like making sure he had Diet Cokes or coffee or forget what it was. Snoop Dogg keeps someone on salary just to roll his joints. Yeah, he makes a good <laughs> he makes a good salary. What for a that. good job. Goals. Remember when Puff Daddy had the his butler? Farnsworth Bentley, he has a name. Who <laughs> just hold his umbrella? Remember when he came out with a line of umbrellas though? That was genius. Yeah, and that was in kind of like a pre merch, pre everyone selling out landscape. I'm shocked that that wasn't a collab with Kitson or something. So yes, we learned that this personal shopper has been buying all of the gifts for Samantha and not just that, writing the notes. It did hurt me a little bit that Richard is seeing other women other than Samantha. But his personal shopper says that he's been seeing a lot less other women, which is an improvement. So this man doesn't want to get fired. And Samantha's bargain is, okay, I won't tell Richard that I saw you. 
but I want you to write love Richard in this note, which I've always believed that this guy did indeed get fired after this incident. <laughs> yeah, he probably did. Because if Richard Wright loved Samantha, he would feel comfortable enough to say it or give the personal shopper the okay to write love. He's basically forced to tell Samantha that he loves her. And then she doesn't say it back. Because she needs to retain some power. Don't con your boyfriend's assistant into writing that if you have no intention of saying it back. Because in this episode, she learns that he is, and she acknowledges he's seeing other women, but now it's far less. But what is the thing in the season finale? Because she catches him cheating, but because she gave him the heart lithograph and you can't fuck in the room where the heart lithograph is? I don't know. I'm <laughs> yeah. a little confused. Yeah, it's true. We go to Steve and Miranda who are figuring out the timeshare of their child. And she's like, Steve, am I ugly? And he's like, no, you're pregnant. <laughs> and then she's like, I'm really horny. Can you please fuck me? And he's like, sure. I just didn't know if it was in the contract or not. And uh, that's kind of where they leave things. And then Brady had a little sister <laughs> nine months later. And just like that. Yeah, as we've been doing these rewatches, I do realize that there are very few episodes where all four of the girls have equally weighted storylines. And it's usually, unfortunately, Charlotte that gets shortchanged. But in this episode, as I said earlier, Miranda's storyline is like she farts and she's horny. And a resolution is she gets laid. Yay! Good for our girl. Charlotte and Carrie meet up again. It feels like, and I have no way to confirm this, but the place that they meet at is the same restaurant or at least the same set that they use in, I think it's season two or three when she comes in with a Manolo Blahnik shopping bag. Oh, yeah. They both admit that they're both scared. They're both alone again. And Charlotte gives the ring to Carrie. When she's very clear to say, this is alone. Which, for many years we have joked, there's been no acknowledgement that Carrie paid Charlotte back. No, I'm sure she did. She would not do that to Charlotte. I don't believe it. Also, we know that she comes into some money when she gets that book advance and suddenly has a Birkin and all of that stuff. Well, yes, the, the mysterious Birkin of season five, yeah. That only really existed to cover Sarah Jessica Parker's pregnant stomach. That's what put Sam Jones over the edge. That's why she had to go to London. I understand why... Charlotte had to give Carrie the ring for the narrative purposes of this episode. But like, if Charlotte gave me the ring and I was Carrie, I would be fucking scared. I'd be like, oh my God, like, where the fuck am I going to hawk this? How am I going to figure out that I get a good price for this? It's a, That's like a lot of labor in and of itself. Not that Carrie like shouldn't be willing to do it. I would just be freaked out if I was in Carrie's shoes. Something tells me what happens in the story after the, the credits roll is that Charlotte is in charge of selling it and she gives the money to Carrie in a, I don't know, a cashier's check or something. And there's some contract written up by Miranda. But yeah, I guess you're right. Carrie, when she got her advance in season five, probably paid Charlotte back, which would explain why, which I've always wondered, in season six, when she gets the advance from, from France, a France advance, and she goes to Prada, why Charlotte wasn't rolling her eyes. Look, if she has enough money to shop the way she does, she can spend $1,000 a month paying back Charlotte. I don't know, but I would love to see Carrie take a Dave Ramsey course or something. And this episode ends with yet another Wizard of Oz reference. Carrie says, it wasn't quite as easy as clicking my Manolo Blahniks three times, but it was worth it. I was home. Aww. 
Great ending. I love that. And as we learn, she'll never leave this place. No. So how many Manolos are you giving Ring-A-Ding-Ding? Eight? Yeah, I'm giving it eight, too. All right. Eight Manolos it is. But before we end this episode, we have to play just a really special call that we got from a fuck at after that deranged British episode that we did like a month ago. So thank you guys for listening. We will be back next week and let's play the call. All right, guys. Bye. Um, hello. This is Annabelle Bronstein calling long distance from my flat in Sussex. I've just finished the British episode of your show and was absolutely gutted not to hear one mention of me, Annabelle Bronstein. I do not pay 900 American dollars annually to be treated this way. Now tally up the drinks. 